God, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for letting us uh, gather in your house and to hear the word of God. God, I pray for Strider as he comes forward to speak, that you would be with him, that you would allow him to speak with courage and uh, to speak confidently the message that you have put on his heart. And God, I pray that your spirit would come and that you would open up our hearts to the scripture that Strider is going to walk us through for the next hour. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I was kidding about the hour. Amen. Don't forget your notes this time. How's everybody doing this morning? Yes? Okay, good. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 1. We're just going to jump right in here. Uh, We've been in the middle of a series that is trying to zoom in on a particular um, life and moment of of Jesus in in both his life and ministry. Um, If you remember back a couple weeks ago, Jesus invites four guys to a deeper uh, invitation, one of intimacy, but also one of intentionality. He says in Matthew chapter 4, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And four guys say, yes, we'll, we'll do that. And we've been looking at the series of events that occur immediately after these guys say yes to this invitation and Jesus begins training and equipping them. Last week, if you were here, um, we looked at uh, a part of, of Mark uh, chapter 1. We're actually going to cover that just for a second because I think it's going to provide some context for what it is that we're going to be looking at this morning. But Mark, Mark chapter 1 uh, is an incredibly exciting uh, book. Like the, the writer, the writer is incredibly excited. Have you ever had, um, yeah, for those of you who have kids or those of you who have nieces and nephews, little kids, have you ever had, you ever had a little kid uh, tell you something that they are either an event or a thing that they are incredibly excited about? You know what that, you know what that sounds like? It happened to me um, this past Tuesday because uh, this week is um, my middle son, Max, his birthday was on uh, this past Monday. So he turned 10 years old. You can call him Double Didge. That's what I've been calling him for now. Please do that after the service. He's going to be like, what? Are you, how do you know that? That'll be fine. But he turned 10, and the only thing that he wanted for his birthday was a computer because he's incredibly creative. Like He, he uh, has an ability to, even at 10, to film and edit videos, and they're, they're actually really good. And he loves to play video games, particularly Fortnite with all of his buddies. But the problem, the problem with Mac is that he has been using his mom's old computer and it's just old. And so whenever you have, for those of us who don't play video games, whenever you have, you don't have the right equipment, it makes it really hard to enjoy the particular video game. So we asked him, what do you want for your birthday? And he's more than anything else, the only thing I want is a computer. And we're like, that's an expensive, like we've never bought one of our kids like something that expensive before. And so how do we do this? And so we asked him, we said, we said Mac, your birthday's in you know, December, Christmas is coming. If we could you know, get your grandparents to all chip in and like together for both your birthday and for Christmas, if we got you a computer, would, would that do it? And he's like, yes, please, please. That's all I've ever wanted. That's what I want to live for for the rest of my life, just a computer. <laughs> so Shannon talks to you know, the grandparents and everybody chips in. And we, we get this Black Friday deal on a computer, on a gaming computer. And um, at his birthday, he wanted to go to the Cracker Barrel for um, biscuits and eggs and bacon. It's just, I don't know why my kids do. Yeah, okay, a lot of Cracker Barrel fans. Cracker Barrel's awesome. Love it. Uh, that's where Mac wanted to go. So we went there for breakfast. And at the end of breakfast, he gets this computer. And he is just so excited. 
And that's on Monday, and we decided this year for Thanksgiving, we'd take a trip every year up to North Carolina to hang out with our, our folks. And this year we decided to stay a couple extra days so that we could celebrate Mac's birthday on Monday and then drive back on Tuesday. So Mac gets the computer, and we go home to my mom and dad's house, and there's a problem. Because my parents have terrible internet. <laughs> and the game that he wants to play, we can't download it. So we go to Starbucks, we try to download it there, it's taking forever, we come back, and we're like, Mac, I'm really sorry, man, I know it's your birthday, but like, you're not going to be able to play this game, and my life is over, and all these, you know, <laughs> kinds of things. And so the poor kid, all he's been wanting for the past six months is a computer, so we get in the car on Tuesday, we drive back all Tuesday, he's got to wait on this computer, we finally get back home, boot the thing up, download the game that he wants to play for him, it's going to take two hours. No, my life is over. <laughs> All those kinds of reactions. Two hours go by, he can finally play this game that he's been dying to play with all of his friends. And so we just kind of leave, Shannon and I leave the room and we leave him to it. And uh, about five or ten minutes go by and we're in the living room and Mac, I'm imagining that I'm in our computer room at our house, Mac comes literally sprinting into the living room. He's like, Mom, Dad, this computer's awesome. There's no lag, and it's so clean, and it's so crisp, and I can crank 90s like nobody's ever cranked them before. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, you got to come see it. And he just takes off running again back to the computer room. And so we're like, okay, well, let's walk back in there. And so we walk back in there, and, you know, all of his Nick Bonfiglio and all these kids are, you know, they're yelling at one another, communicating and playing this game together. And he's literally having the time of his life. And it's this, for Mac, it was just this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And it's this huge run-on sentence because he's so excited about what it is that he wants to tell us. In Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1 is the same way. thought I'd show it to you. Uh, this is the actual Greek text. I know we can all read that. But what I did, what I did is, is I want to draw your attention to something. See that little word, chi, that I've highlighted? 22 times, that's just a conjunction in Greek, and it means and. Sometimes it can mean also, but a lot of times in Scripture you'll see it translated immediately and. 22 times Mark is recording and, and, and. Most people think, most people think that Peter is actually the author of Mark. Mark's a scribe, we know that. Peter's also attributed with writing two books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter, they're named after him. But we also know that Silas, one of the guys that Peter was discipling, wrote those books on his behalf. And so a lot of people think that the book of Mark is actually written by Peter. And it's just Peter, through Mark's handwriting, it's Peter retelling the story, the eyewitness accounts of what he experienced when it came to Jesus. And so Mark, most likely, is just an, the uneducated fisherman's version of Jesus. And it's incredibly exciting because and, and, it reads like this. And immediately they left the synagogue, and they told Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law. And he went to her, and he helped her up, and the fever left. And then they began to wait on them, and the whole town showed up at the door. And Jesus healed many of them, and he wouldn't let the demon speak. On and on and on, 22 times. It's like whoever is writing this, whether it's Mark or Peter or a combination of the two, whoever's writing this is incredibly excited to just tell their audience the good news of what they have not heard, but they have experienced for their very selves. So we're going to look this morning... Mark chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to remember, remember the tone of voice that is used as we read it. And I won't do that justice, but I want you to bring that excitement to this scripture. Mark 1, 29 through 45. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow right along with the screen. It says this, as soon as they left the synagogue, 
they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Mark chapter 1 is filled with excitement. There's a lot happening. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful in the midst of all these and, 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 and statements, what we might do is we might lose something that the authors of the Gospels wanted us to understand as central to the life and person and ministry of Jesus. And it's found in verse 35. It says this. This is after staying up late into the night, after speaking to Simon's mother-in-law's fever, rebuking that. This is after the whole village of Capernaum shows up at the door, wanting to see who Jesus is. And he drives out many demons, and and he heals many people, seemingly staying up late into the night. We find Jesus doing something that I think is kind of strange. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I don't know about you, but when you stay up late into the night, I mean, Woody Bort said this earlier, he's battling some kind of allergies or something, so he stayed up too late watching this football game and now feeling the effects of that in the morning. I don't know what, I don't know what you most want when you stay up late into the night, but for Jesus... It was different. If it were me, I just want to sleep in. Because I've been staying up late. I've been doing the Lord's work. People have been healed. I mean, this is awesome. The whole town showed up. Let me just sleep in a little bit and recover. But we don't find Jesus doing that. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Why is he doing that? Is it because Jesus understands something different about rest than you and I understand? I mean, later, Jesus will say to his disciples and to all those who are listening, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you more things to do. No, he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Why in the world would Jesus get up early in the morning, leave the house, and go off to a solitary place? By the way, that solitary place, the context of that most likely is some secluded spot either within or just outside this village of Capernaum, somewhere that's kind of off the beaten path. 
you know, that you kind of got to walk to to get to, somewhere that's not going to have a lot of foot traffic, somewhere that's going to be uninterrupted, sort of isolated, wilderness, desert kind of environment or thought? Why in the world is Jesus showing up that early in the morning, four to six in the morning, according to the context of Mark? What's he doing? And what's, he, what's he praying for? And the word prayer in this particular context doesn't mean like, uh, there's a couple of different words. It's not, the word that's not used is wish. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. The, the word used for prayer here is more like speak to, be with, request of. Do you know over 30 times in the Gospels, both Mark, Matthew, Luke, did you know that they will record Jesus slipping away to some solitary place over 30 times? Why in the world do you think they took the time to tell us something 30 times? What do they want us to know about Jesus? What do they want us to pick up on when it comes to Jesus? In the midst of this busyness, in the midst of all these incredible things, it almost seems like what the gospel writers want us to recognize and begin to understand is that Jesus, more than anything else, was fixated on his Father. That he just wanted to spend time with, be with, be in the presence of, speak to, be spoken back to with his Father. And that's what Jesus understood as rest. Deity never sleeps but humanity gets exhausted. And Jesus, being both fully God and fully man, experiences the exhaustion of humanity. I mean, he stays up late into the night. Everybody wants to see him. How's he going to get his rest? I'm going to go be with the Father. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go speak to. I'm going to go slow down. We're going to talk more about this in 2020, so about rest in this concept, but... I'll move on for now. Then we come to, actually, there's a, a question uh, that I w wanted to, uh, as I was going through this text this week, I just, just stopped and asked myself several questions, and I just wrote them down. But this is the first question that I, was, that I asked myself. If resting with the Father was so essential for Jesus, should it also be essential for me? This is Jesus, by the way, fully God, fully man, needed to pray. If it was essential for him, should it be essential for me? Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I don't, know who, I don't know who it was that woke up that morning that said, Jesus is not here, and we have to go find him. I don't, like, I don't know if this is Simon's mother-in-law. It's like, hey, you got to go get Jesus, and it's one of these, like, yes, ma'am, and you just leave the house and do it. Or if this is Simon and his buddy's idea to go get Jesus. But apparently, apparently word has gotten out, and people have heard about the healing that has taken place, and now they're showing back up at the door. And, and so Simon and his buddies make a decision to leave the house and go find Jesus. How did they know where to find him? I mean, I know the, the villages are small, but if Jesus is in a secluded spot, where did they know where to look? You know, I wonder, I wonder in the midst of training and equipping his disciples that Jesus hasn't maybe even invited these guys to spend time with him in this very secluded spot. Like, I wonder if part of their training 
is Jesus saying, guys, I just want you to experience being, the, being with the Father with me. I just want you to experience that. I want you to observe my life, and I want you to see what a right relationship with the Father looks like, because this is what I'm offering. And we'll talk about life, and we'll talk about ministry, we'll talk about your families, we'll talk about those kinds of things. We'll, we'll maybe do some training and equipping while we're there. But more than anything, what I want is you just to be still and begin to learn to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that the Father extends to those who believe in him. Like, I wonder if that's how they knew where to go look. Anyways, they find him, and when they get there, when they get there, they exclaim something to him. Who exclaims something? Like, the, the wording here is like, hey, Jesus, we have a message for you. And here's the message. Guess what? Every, you won't believe this, Jesus, but everybody has showed up again. They're all at the town door. And, and by the way, Jesus, I wonder, I wonder if they think they're doing Jesus a favor. Hey, like, I, like I know, Jesus, you're, you're with your father. That's, that's awesome. You're recovering. You're getting rest. I mean, you're getting your agenda for the day. Maybe you're even praying for us. Man, that's awesome. Thank you. But like, hey, listen, just want to let you know, everybody is showing up at the door. Like in their minds, this is the social media verified blue check status on the name of Jesus. I mean, he, his fame is growing as people are beginning to know more and more and begin to recognize more and more of who Jesus is. People want to be around him. And it's almost like they're bringing an agenda. Hey, Jesus, don't worry. You, you can stop praying right now because we've shown up, glad that we did, and we've got your agenda for you today because everybody's looking for you. And if Jesus was only concerned with building an audience, he probably would have said yes to this invitation. But Jesus' priority was something different than what we think about. Because Jesus only wanted to please his Father. That is what he was sent for and lived for, was to be about the Father's agenda. And so his response, to response to their agenda for him is kind of confusing. I mean, I, I think that these guys, when he speaks back to them, are like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Because he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. And in their minds, I wonder if they're going, wait a second, don't you want to just gather a whole bunch of people? Like, don't you want to just build an audience? Because it seems like every other religious leader, that's what their goal is. It's just like, how can I gather more people and just speak to them? And, and then the kind, of, kind of, that's it. Like, why, why would you leave? Why would you say no to that? How, how is Jesus so confidently, not rudely, not dismissively, not in a, I don't care about what those people have to say or think, not, not in that sense, but like, how is he so confidently able to say no to that so that he can say yes to something else? I wonder if there's a clue for us in verse 35. Like, I wonder in this time in which he's spending with the Father, if the Father's not saying, here's, what, here's your agenda for the day. Here's what, here's what I want you to be about. And that Jesus is listening and going, yes, yes, I'll do it. I'll be about that. I want to please you. That's what I want my life to be about. How else would he so confidently say no to what seems like a good opportunity so that he can say yes to the best opportunity? 
Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. You know what he's preaching? He's, he's simply preaching the same thing that his cousin John the Baptist started proclaiming before Jesus was baptized and started his public ministry. And you know what John's message was? Repent and believe. Change your mind and believe. Because the kingdom of God is coming. Be on the lookout for it. And then when John's life began to descend, Jesus' fame began to ascend, Jesus simply just picked up on the same message that John was proclaiming. Repent and believe. Change your mind and believe. Because the kingdom is not just coming, the kingdom is here now in your very midst. Jesus' message had more to do not with the temporal, earthly circumstances of our, and condition of our bodies, but had more to do with the condition and eternity of our souls. That's his message. Change your mind and believe. That's what my Father has sent me to do. And so he says, I got to go. I got to go to the other villages. They have to know this. So 39, he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Scholars think that there's probably some 200 villages or so, towns, cities, villages um, of various sizes in this region of Galilee. And uh, it seem, seems that Jesus' heart is, I want every person to know. Like, I want everybody, everybody to know the truth of who I am and why I've come. I want them to know what the Father offers them, what I offer them. And so another question that I was kind of wrestling with this week is um, what or who is currently dictating my agenda? What or who is currently dictating my agenda? Jesus never succumbed to the needs of the crowds or the desires of the crowds. His only agenda was a fixation, a literal fixing of his eyes on his father and a desire to want to do whatever it is that he heard the father say. Then we come to verse 40. <clears throat> and I don't know if this happens um, the same day. Uh, this first kind of tour of Galilee where he's traveling throughout all of these towns and villages preaching seemingly lasted about somewhere around two months. And so this next incident could have been either as a follow-up to this you know, morning's interaction or it could have happened you know, later sometime in those two months. But we, we find in verse 40, <clears throat> it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Let's talk about leprosy just for a second, because this word um, has several meanings, and it's kind of a it's a, kind of a broad term that kind of lumps in everything uh, encompassing people with skin conditions. So it, it very well could be that this guy had actual leprosy, or this guy had some kind of skin condition. But the the context of the rest of the story gives us some clues that most likely this guy had that particular strain that was actually diagnosed as leprosy. And leprosy is, boy, it's a, uh, it's a debilitating disease in, in Jewish Old Testament culture in, in more ways than one. I mean, the first is it's a, it's a disease that attacks your nervous system. And leprosy, what it, what it causes you to do over time is just to lose all the feeling in your body. So if you, you know, kick a podium, you don't feel it. If you put your hand on a hot stove, 
You don't feel it. And slowly, because of the sores and lesions and things that begin to accumulate over your body, your body begins to just slowly rot. And so fingers and toes and noses just begin to fall off. It's, it's, an, awful, it's an awful disease, and there's no, there's no treatment for it. I mean, leprosy is not you know, common today because it's, it's, it's a treatable disease. But back then, I mean, there's, there's no cure for it. You're, you're without hope. And it's also debilitating because if you got leprosy, the first thing you had to do was go show yourself to the priest. And the priest's job is to uh, assess whether that particular sore or bump or lesion or mole or growth or whatever it is on your body is uh, isolated in and of itself or if it's indicative of something larger that's going on. Like the priest is supposed to say, you've got something really wrong with you or, hey, relax, I think that's just a zit. Go home. <laughs> but if the, priest, if the priest determines that your particular skin condition falls under this category of leprosy, you're excommunicated. Like, you can't even go back and pack up your stuff. Somebody has to do that. Literally, you have to remove yourself not only from the temple, the presence of God, but all of community, all of society. You are now excommunicated and pushed out into the uninhabited, lonely places. And you may think, well, man, that's really harsh. Like, why, why would they treat people like this? And oftentimes, we got to remember, when we, when we read biblical texts, we, we have to remember that we're reading something that's foreign to us. Like, this is a foreign language, and it's a foreign culture, and it's a foreign country, and it's a foreign community. And all of they're doing is they're ascribing to the Levitical laws that have been put in place by Moses. And so before we go pass a judgment on people saying, man, that's awful, let's just consider for a second just their particular context. Because oftentimes, this practice of excommunicating someone was uh, for the sanctity and safety of the rest of the community. Because leprosy is contagious. Like, you can't rub shoulders with a person with leprosy because if you do, chances are pretty good that you might catch what they got. And so lepers are just dismissed from society. This is the person that Jesus encounters. By the way, we don't know how long, how long this guy has had leprosy. We don't, the scripture doesn't say. But just imagine living like that. You talk about hell on earth. Not only is your body in pain, but you are all alone. Maybe you're in a leper colony. That's where that term comes from. There's a grouping of people who all have leprosy together. We'll live together so we can have community. I'm not sure if it was the leprosy that killed you or if it was the isolation. Because we know what happens when people are put into solitary confinement or babies aren't picked up when they're born. You, people die. You, you, you're put into solitary confinement. The one result of that is death, and that's a guarantee. This is this life that this guy is living. So he comes to Jesus. And I don't know how he heard about Jesus. I don't know if somebody had, he'd overheard something, if he's in town one time getting supplies. But somehow he figures out that Jesus is nearby. And so he comes to Jesus and he begs him on his knees. He literally falls on his knees in front of Jesus and he says this. And this is really interesting. If you are willing. If you are willing. 
which implies some doubt in that statement. You, you can make me clean. Why does the guy say, if you're willing? If you are willing. I mean, we know some things about Jesus. <clears throat> if you are willing. Imagine this. For the majority of your life, <clears throat> you have lived unwelcomed by society, including your family. For the majority of your life, you have lived unwelcome in the presence of God. Because you can't show up at the temple or synagogue and worship. If you've lived your whole life and people have told you, man, I don't know what you did to deserve that, but obviously it was bad for God to curse you and that you would be afflicted like that. I don't know what it was, but I can't, I can't be around you because of that. If you've heard people tell you that your whole life, and then you show up to Jesus, and you fall at his knees, and you say, if you are willing, I think what this guy is saying is, listen, Jesus, people have told me this and treated me like this my entire life, and I'm expecting you to do the same. I'm expecting you to run away just like everybody else does when I show up into town yelling, unclean, unclean, because I have to. Because if I don't, I get people pick up rocks and they'll kill me with them. I'm expecting you to do that. I'm expecting you to treat me just like everybody else treats me in society. But if you are willing, and then a statement, you can make me clean. Now what's up with this whole make me clean thing? Because what he doesn't say is you can heal me. There's plenty of Greek words that say you can heal me. Why does he say you can make me clean? What's he really asking Jesus for? This whole make me clean thing is closely related to the holiness of God. Because when you go to a priest, a priest's job is to assess, are you clean enough to be in the presence of God? And if the answer is no, gone. If the answer is yes, you're fine. Go home. Make me clean. What's he asking Jesus for? I'm not sure if he's asking Jesus specifically for healing of leprosy. I mean, I think that's the vehicle to get there. But I think what this guy's really asking is for total restoration. I think this whole idea of, would you make me clean, has more to do with, would you make me acceptable back to the presence of God? Would you make me worthy and allowed back into God's very presence and the presence of community, the presence of my family? That's what I want. More than anything else, I want to be made acceptable. And you can do that if you take away my leprosy. So Jesus, if you're willing, I'm not expecting you to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I know what's going to happen. I've already resigned myself to just walk in a way that you're not going to do it. But if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus' response to this, y'all, I was, I was really confused by it at first. Because verse 41 says, Jesus was indignant. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus was indignant? I mean, that, in, that word indignant, like that's in the family tree of anger. What's, what's Jesus angry with. So I was thinking about it a little bit this week, and, and the thing that I realized was that, and I, I wonder if Jesus is angry and frustrated over the fact that people just don't get it. This guy says, if you are willing. And I wonder if Jesus is, is, is sitting there thinking, I left all of heaven 
I left a continual presence and community with my Father and with the Holy Spirit, and I put on flesh and became fully human while remaining fully God so that you would know, when are you people going to get this? What do I have to do? What kind of miracles do I have to perform? When are you going to have the ability to believe that I am willing? Do you not recognize, do you not realize who it is that's standing before you? God himself is standing before you as a proclamation that he is not against you, that he is for you. When are, when are you going to realize this? He's indignant. What is it going to take, Father? What is it going to take for people to recognize who I am? What do you mean if I'm willing? And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out his hand and he touches the man. He says, I am willing. Be clean. You don't do this. If you're Jesus standing before an unclean person, you do not put your hand on them. Because what this signifies and what this indicates is that if I put my hand on this person, that I'm now unclean too. So why does he do it? We don't know if he put his hand on his shoulder or if he put his hand on his head or if he reached down and picked this guy up and gave him a hug. Henry, you're still glad you chose this seat? Good. Oh boy. We didn't practice this, but you're being a great sport. But he puts his hand on the man. He could have spoken to the leprosy, just like he spoke to the demon and it left the guy in the synagogue in the story before. He could have spoken to the leprosy just like he did with the fever, Peter's mother-in-law, and it left her. He could have spoken to the leprosy, but he puts his hand on the guy so that this guy might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is willing. By the way, I wonder how long it's been since somebody has put his hand put their hand on a guy with leprosy. What did this feel like for a person who's not allowed to be touched to have their hand on him? He says, I am willing. Be clean. So what's Jesus saying back to the guy? Be restored. You're welcome back into the presence of God. You're welcome in the presence of community. You are whole. You are healed. All of that is wrapped up in this phrase, be clean. Immediately, verse 42, that's another and, 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 the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. That's all it took. One touch, five words, if I can count them right. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And it just was striking that on the first reading of this, I thought the guy was asking for something else than he was really asking for. But I think, this, I think this guy, whether he recognized it or not, understood something about Jesus that most people don't get. Because Jesus offers way more than just the healing of our physical bodies. Yes, he cares about that. But Jesus did not come so that he could hold back the tides of evil. Jesus came so that he could destroy evil once and for all. And that's included. That's included in this statement. Be clean. That is what Jesus is offering. This man, he offers me, and he offers you. Because the reality is, is this isn't the only leper that Jesus healed. 
Now, you can't, you can't see my leprosy because I don't have skin conditions, I think, on the outside of my body. My leprosy is on the inside because my body is riddled with self-righteousness and pride and addiction and fear and critical spirits. And Oh, you, you, can't, see, you can't see my leprosy, but if you could, there'd be visible marks and scars all over me. The thing that this guy gets right is he recognizes his uncleanness. That's not even a word, but I just said it. He recognizes that he's unclean. And he was willing to refuse to believe everything that people told him about the fact that he could no longer be in the presence of God. And he makes a conscious decision to fall at his knees before Jesus. And he asks the one person who can do something about it, make me clean. Jesus is still healing lepers today. For those of us that are willing to recognize that we're unclean, that our sin, our sin has made us unacceptable in the presence of God. That our sin has made us unworthy to be in the presence of God. And that our good works can't erase the leprosy in our bodies. Because how in the world are you going to do enough good things to counteract the lesions and scars and sores and the rottingness of your condition? It would be silly to think that you could do enough good things to take away your leprosy. It's not how diseases work. Somebody has to take that for you. This guy recognizes his unclean state. He goes to the one and says, you can do something about this. Have you, have you done that? Have you recognized that your sin is your leprosy? And that because of that, you're unclean. And have you also recognized this same person that we've been talking about all year and will continue to talk about for years into the future has done everything necessary, has lived a perfect life, has satisfied every requirement of the law, has had at the forefront of his mind the priority of his father who has lived without leprosy his whole life because he's without sin. And the fact that he's given himself, John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you asked for that? Did you know that you had the ability to do that? One of the questions that I was um, also wrestling with this week is this one. Am I settling for less than the holiness that Jesus offers. Because Jesus' holiness is contagious. Everybody thought leprosy is supposed to be contagious. But Jesus is now unclean because of this guy who he's laid his hand upon. But the reality is the exact opposite happens. That Jesus' holiness transfers to this guy. Jesus, would you make me clean? Then we come to verse 43. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. This is weird, by the way. This is another part that I had to stop and go, wait, what? Go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why in the world is the guy, why does the world does Jesus send this guy away with a strong warning? And the word in Greek here is stern. So like, you know, think commanding officer or think dad who's going to give you a command and he's going to say it sternly because he's serious about it. Why in the world does Jesus send this guy away with a strong warning? I spent some time kind of considering that question and, and uh, I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but Jesus is pretty sharp. And I, and I think Jesus understands the repercussion of, of this guy not listening to him. And it, it even kind of gets to it in verse 45 in just a second. But I think Jesus understands that if this guy begins to go around and telling people how he's been made, how he's been healed, that that's the message that's going to get out. That if this guy goes and tells everybody he knows, I've been healed, that that's the only message that's going to get out. And honestly, that could have been one of the most detrimental things to the ministry of Jesus at that time. Because you see, you see what happens in verse 36 through 39 when people find out about healing. That everybody shows up. And this is going to sound a little backward. Everybody shows up. But Jesus' message is not just for people's earthly circumstances. Jesus' message is for their eternal circumstances. I think Jesus understands that if this guy goes and talks about healing, then when people show up or people hear that he's in town, that's all they're going to want. Not that Jesus is dismissive of people's circumstances or No, Jesus very much cares about your earthly, everyday circumstances. But I wonder if Jesus is concerned that the only message that they might hear is one of healing and not one of holiness. So he sends this guy away with a strong warning. Like, this is not reverse psychology. This is, hey, I, I don't want this to happen because I have all of these villages that haven't heard the good news yet. And I don't want them to get distracted. Because we're like sheep. People are like sheep. We get distracted by easily things. We just want what we want it, when we want it, like a computer. We get distracted. We lose sight of things of eternal focus. So he sends them away with a strong warning. And where does he send them to? See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go... Show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. And here's the key part, as a testimony to them. So where does he want this guy to go? He actually wants him to make a trip to Jerusalem and tell the priests what's happened. You got to remember, the priests are the one who are concerned with, tasked with the responsibility of diagnosing leprosy. And that hasn't happened in a long time. And so what happens... What might happen if this guy actually makes the trip to Jerusalem and he's making the sacrifices that Moses commands and people are like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just making the the offerings that Moses commands to be, you know, when you're healed of leprosy because, you know, that's what this guy Jesus told me to do. Wait a second, what? You've been healed of leprosy? Who did that? This guy named Jesus? How? He put his hand on me. Wait, he touched you? Yeah, yeah, he touched me and then he spoke and then I was healed. 
I was made clean. I was restored. I can be back in this temple without fear of you killing me. What do you think the priests are going to do when they hear that? One of two things happens whenever people hear the good news of Jesus, hunger or hostility. So they're going to either react hostily. Maybe they're going to react with hunger. That's never happened. I don't have the ability to do that. Who is this Jesus? You mean to tell me that lepers are getting healed? You mean to tell me that that's not happening in the temple? You mean that there's somebody else who seemingly has the presence of God with them, around them? Yeah. Jesus sent this guy to the priest so that he would go tell his story as a testimony to them. Listen, I want you to take your story and I want you to tell them what's happened. Because they won't listen to me. I've already tried. But maybe if I send somebody who's been cured of leprosy and you go tell them your story, maybe they'll believe. I see the compassion of Jesus in the midst of this. It's a weird way of seeing it, and I'm not sure if I'm doing it justice, but I see the compassion of Jesus by saying, listen, don't go tell anybody because I want them to hear the main message. Instead, go to the priest because I care for them. I want them to know and believe. I want them to proclaim this. Because that's their responsibility. That's what they've been tasked with. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for the Savior. He's here. Go tell them. Maybe if you tell them, they'll believe. But instead, 45, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Here's the last thing that sticks out. You notice how the insider and the outsider in these story, in this story, trade places. Because at the beginning of our story, we have Jesus, and the whole town is showing up. The whole town wants him. The whole town wants to be with him. We have a leper who nobody wants, who people turn their faces from. And then they have this encounter. Jesus puts his hand on the man, and he's healed. He's made whole. He's been cleaned. And as a result, that guy is now an insider. Seemingly, going through all the towns and villages, spreading the word about Jesus. And Jesus is now the outsider. Left in lonely places. People are still coming to him, but Jesus is still an outsider. Isn't that the gospel? That Jesus is willing to trade places with us in every sense of the word and the phrase. That he's willing to take our woundedness and on the cross become wounded for us. That he's willing to take our outsiderness, our unworthiness, our unacceptability in the presence of God. He's willing to do that for us. Matter of fact, he's going to call us family for those that put their faith and trust in Christ. You're welcome in the family of God. That Jesus does all of that for us. And that the message, y'all, this stage is decorated with Christmas trees. The, the, the message is God's with us. And when we think about Christmas, when we think about Advent, Advent simply means coming, we think about the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. That this is the message. Hey, priests down in Jerusalem, the one who's are tasked with protecting the holiness and the sanctity of this holy of holies, this special room inside this big building called the temple where the presence of God is. The presence of God is now not limited to one little space within a building. 
that Advent, that Christmas is the message of the presence of God coming to be with us. That Jesus came to model and demonstrate and reveal that in every way possible and to offer an exchange for those who are willing to admit it and believe it. This message is titled um, Stop and Go, and at the beginning, you know, Tim stood up and, and named a number of different ways uh, that you and I in community can just contribute to proclaiming this particular message, that God is with us. And um, as we close up today, I just want to remind us that um, maybe before we go running off to pick all kinds of great things to do, that maybe we ought to just stop for a minute like Jesus did. In verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That maybe more than anything else, what we need to do in the midst of this busy holiday season is just take a few minutes to rest in the Father's presence and to ask, what's your agenda? And then in response, <laughs> when inevitably the Father sends a leper, somebody who's hard to love, our way, that we might respond with compassion. We might respond with good news. We might respond with a helpful touch. Let's pray. Jesus, <clears throat> thank you that you have come and done everything necessary to bring us back into complete and total restoration with our Father. We could never do that. We could never get rid of our own leprosy. We need to be healed and cleansed of that. So Jesus, thank you for doing that for us, for our sin, when you gave your life on the cross. And I pray this week that we would remember that, that we would treasure that, that we would worship you and honor you because of that. And that as we move throughout our work and family and life and Christmas parties and jobs and school and classes and exams that we would just be listening and watching for people that you might have for us to love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.